Welcome to the Paranormal Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Thanks for stopping by. This is the place to explore mysteries, investigate the otherworldly, and share stories of the inexplicable and the strange. You see, within the realm of our daily, ordinary lives, there is a paranormal factor always waiting to reveal itself. So let's begin exploring together the truly weird. Welcome, listeners, and thanks for joining us on the Paranormal Factor Podcast. In this new episode, we're introducing you to a very interesting group of people, the Little People of Alaska and the North Arctic. The Little People, or Inukin, are the Alaskan and Native American fair folk. They're said to be small in stature. Some say no bigger than a foot. Others say no bigger than three feet. Either way, they're small superhumans. You see, the thing that both Native Americans and the Inuit people seem to agree on when it comes to their little people is they are very, very strong and possess magical powers. In Alaskan tales, it's said that one dwarf could carry a big bearded seal and two little people could easily drag a big black whale to their igloos. They're also said to have powers of invisibility, shape-shifting, and the ability to confuse the mind. But before we start, as a reminder, please be sure to take a look at the Paranormal Factor Podcast Facebook page. Every single day, Monday through Friday, there's new paranormal and supernatural material for you to check out. Do you know what a Groot slang is? Well, head to the Facebook page to learn more about this monster and others. Fans of the show know it's the best place to find monsters, quizzes, film, TV, and book recommendations, and current paranormal news stories from around the world. And don't forget to check out the show notes after listening to our episodes. They contain resources if you desire to look further into any topic with recommended books and videos to watch. Now, on to our episode. In 2008, a hunter from Marshall, Alaska, found a small boy alone in the middle of a marsh about three hours from Marshall. The hunter asked the boy where his parents were and how he got there, but the boy was scared and confused and only answered, I don't know. The hunter thought the whole thing was strange. There were no footprints in the snow or any clues to how the boy could have got there. He recognized the boy from his village and took the boy back to his home. It wasn't until the following day the story began to emerge that the boy had been taken into Pilcher Mountain by Erchenik, little people, where they questioned him. The boy said that while he was captive, he met a woman who said she had been abducted 40 years earlier and wanted to help the boy. Apparently, the small people had let him go only moments before the hunter found him. Another event took place in Palmer, Alaska in 2005. A woman described seeing a childlike figure running through woods near her home just moments before her daughter disappeared. Unfortunately, the girl has never been found. It's known the little people live in places such as Pilcher Mountain and Nelson Island, where small toy-like sleds and tools are said to be found in the hills. An Inupiaq man, Luke Kunick, was out hunting many miles from Point Hope, traveling hundreds of miles into a vast empty area. After some time in the area, Luke's four-wheel Honda became stuck in the mud. He had tried and tried to lift it or get it out of the ruts to free it from the mud. After failing to get the vehicle out of the muddy ruts, he was exhausted, bent over huffing and puffing. Suddenly, out of the corner of his eye, 
he saw his Honda rise in the air and come bouncing down on firmer ground. He claims he then briefly saw the blur of a shape of a little bipedal creature of some sort dash off into the trees. He climbed aboard his vehicle and quickly left the area. Well, these are just a few of the purported encounters with the little people of Alaska and the Arctic. Legends say they have been inhabitants of the region for a very long time. And they've been encountered for centuries by humans living in the area. Let's take a closer look at these fantastic beings. Like stories of leprechauns in Ireland, elves in Scandinavia, or Minihune in Hawaii, indigenous Alaskans have their own stories of little people. Fantastic tales abound throughout Alaska. And much like the diverse majestic landscapes of the great land itself, its myths are equally singular and varied. Some are haunting, some humorous, others just plain strange. Each region has its own twists or certain tales, but one in particular is widespread. This prevalent legend tells of a race of little people. They're usually clothed in indigenous Alaskan garb and possess supernatural strength and speed despite their size. Irchinik is one of the several Inuit words used when describing any of these little people who live in the Arctic region. According to the stories of the Inuit and the occasional report to the police by non-Inuit throughout the years, there are several different Irchinik. Most have been described as having pointed ears, darkish colored skin, and very dark eyes. They're strong, fast, and intelligent beings. They're extremely skilled at hunting with bow and arrow and wear clothes made of animal skins. The Inuit say they live their lives according to the old ways. Inuit tradition states that these elfish creatures are shapeshifters who can assume at will the appearance of certain animals and inanimate objects like caribou, rabbits, or even stones. They're also endowed with the ability to travel extraordinarily long distances extremely quickly, presumably through the use of some kind of magic. This race of magical beings supposedly lives underground or inside mountains and possesses control over natural forces. But that's where the similarities and descriptions end. Everyone seems to have a different take on the little people, as this lore has been consistently mentioned in nearly every Arctic village. The little people bear a striking resemblance to other cultures' tellings of fairies, dwarves, gnomes, goblins, leprechauns, brownies, and halflings. They all share in describing magical races of diminutive size, and each is possessed of protective benevolence or spiteful vengeance, depending on the story. There seem to be different types of Irchinik. The smallest of Irchinik is called a Singsigat. They're said to be a fairy-like being, 5 to 12 inches tall, but no wings are ever mentioned, and they also have pointed heads. They're said to come out at night and sound like chirping birds and sometimes hide in cracks and walls when humans get too close. The Agaseak are by far the strangest looking of all the Irchinik. They're only about a foot tall. Their eyelids are vertical and they're always said to have long sleeves that almost touch the ground. And forget about receiving a good luck charm from one. Anything you receive from the Agaseak is sure to give bad luck. The Inikins are only a couple of feet tall, and they're said to live in the Port Hope area of Alaska. While the Inukins are known to be mischievous, they can also be extremely helpful, if they choose. However, they have also been known to steal and cause trouble in villages, especially at night. Some towns have strict evening curfews, and 
everyone who lives in one of these towns will always be in home with their doors and windows locked at the appointed time. The Palrayek live in the mountain regions and move about in underground tunnels. They're about three feet tall in height, have pointed ears, and are bad-tempered. In areas where they are known to live, there are places in the mountains where people are simply not supposed to go, at least not if they value their safety. Some Erchenik are considered helpful. For instance, they may direct a lost hunter or child toward home or help get one's truck out of the mud. But others? They're considered downright mean or even evil. They can disorient and confuse the mind and are suspected in several disappearances of both children and adults. The Erchenik have reportedly taken people into their homes to spend the night and then let them go the next day, while others never return. Alaskans' perceptions on this topic range the gamut from nonchalant to amused, but occasionally you meet people that get emotional about the little people. Displays of anger, sadness, fear, or whimsy are not uncommon to see. One village in the northwest, Shaktulik, clearly takes the subject seriously. The unanimous belief in Shaktulik is that anyone who caught sight of the little people would go missing for at least a year. Supposedly, these poor individuals spent the year underground in captivity, and occasionally, they never came back. Some are convinced the missing ones were eaten or enslaved, while others believe they're still enjoying life among the little people and now peacefully live with them underground. Some stories suggest that they live in a different dimension than ours, but they can move in and out of our world easily. Those who journey to the realm of the Erchenik report that a day in their world is like a year in our time. Despite their extraordinary powers, Erchenik share some similarities with humans. They're often spotted hunting and gathering, for example. They also have a reputation as excellent craftsmen. Sean Topcock, a professor at the University of Alaska at Fairbanks, heard a story about them while growing up in Teller, Alaska. Two hunters decided to climb up a mountain. They looked down into a dale and saw little people harvesting caribou. One was strong enough to lift a caribou overhead and carry it. The hunters knew they shouldn't interact with the little people, so they just watched. Eventually, the hunters returned home, but their friends had grown old, and some had passed away. One villager recognized them and said they had been gone so long everyone assumed they were dead. In Europeic, such a story is known as Unipkat, which translates roughly to legend. The word legend is associated with a fictional story in English, but not for Inupiaq. They're still seeing little people, Topcock says. Alicia Drabnek of Kodiak has never seen a little person, but she's heard stories from Alutic elders who call them Sunkuk. Sunkuk would sometimes pull pranks on people, like tying their hair in knots while they slept. Other times, they would help those in need. Imagine living on the land and cooking by firelight in your house, Drabnek says. The very dancing way the fire moves, it's hypnotizing. The type of music we play, the drum beats, have a trance-like component. So the culture allows you to sort of travel between spirit worlds more easily. And I think we've lost a lot of that as we've become more modernized. Experienced hunters sometimes talk about how game they had shot and killed disappear with no blood or tracks. They know their game has been taken by the Erchenik. While it may take a couple of grown humans to put a large animal like a caribou onto a sled, according to stories, a single Erchenik can simply pick it up and run off with it. While the legends and folklore are interesting, it's the stories of actual encounters that are truly compelling. So, here we go. 
As we've noted, sightings have been officially recorded since the 1950s. Two stories emerged from the community of Kivalina. The first creeped me out and sent shivers through my body, says Chasen Kunitz, writer of AlaskaVillageToVillage.com. This is the hunter's story. A local man I was working with told me how his uncle had been hunting with a friend. Uh, let's call him Eugene and Cameron, says Kunitz. He related the following on his website. The two native Alaskan hunters were described as being excellent marksmen and exceptionally talented at navigating the hazards of the untamed regions. They'd been tracking a big caribou herd for a while and eventually caught up with them in a mountainous valley. The duo walked into the valley, leaving their four-wheelers behind so as not to spook the caribou with engine noises. There in the center of the valley, the tranquil animals gazed on tundra scrub. Eugene and Cameron climbed a little ways up the western side of the valley across some rolling elevation and kept losing and regaining sight of the herd while they got into range. It was late afternoon and the western sun illuminated the valley and east side of the enclosing mountains. The hunters were in the chilly shadows and moved silently. Eugene and Cameron got a good vantage point to select their targets. Using binoculars, Eugene scoped out the herd while Cameron took a quick moment for a smoke. Despite the remote location, Eugene spotted a curiosity a trio of hunters on the far side of the valley. They'd killed and were cleaning a massive bull, or so it seemed. Something was off though, and Eugene pointed this out to Cameron who stopped smoking immediately to take a look. Cameron pulled out his rifle and zeroed the powerful scope on the three hunters. He quickly realized why the scene was so baffling. The trio wore traditional indigenous clothing handmade from hides and lacking any of the modern clothing now common among native Alaskans. Other anomalies were quickly apparent. There were no guns in sight, and these hunters' bodily proportions were askew. Big heads with short bodies and proportionate arms and legs, but clearly muscular. All of a sudden, one of the hunters stopped his task and looked up from the caribou. His hand shot up, with his index finger pointing straight at the sky. The other two stopped too and looked up at their companion. In an instant, the arm dropped parallel to the ground with the finger pointed directly at Eugene and Cameron. All three hunters turned their heads at the same time to look at the men. Startled, Eugene and Cameron cringed, looking at each other and then back toward the trio. But there was nothing to be seen. No hunters, no butchered caribou. Everything was gone. Well, after bagging their own kills, the two friends went to investigate the site where they saw the trio and their bull. Small splotches of blood littered the area. Tiny footprints, like those of children, were scattered around a circle, but there were no traces of tracks leading to or from the spot. A second tale, a rescue. The second tale from Cavalina is more uplifting, but just as puzzling. A young man in his early 20s told Kunitz how his older brother Clyde went to visit a neighboring village one dark winter's day on his snowmobile. On his way back, his sled broke down and wouldn't start. Well, then the snow really began to fall. Without cell service and outside of radio range, the man decided to hike back, but, but he didn't anticipate the snow falling harder and harder. Eventually, he got turned around as temperature and visibility dropped dramatically. Unprepared for the conditions, hopelessness threatened to consume Clyde, but he stubbornly struggled onward through thickening snow. As fatigue set in, an unseen piece of debris under the snow tripped him and in attempting to regain balance, Clyde slipped down a steep snowdrift and his feet flew out from under him. The back of Clyde's head thumped hard, 
and he lost consciousness. He awoke a little later as he felt hands rolling him through the snow, but then he blacked out again. Eventually, Clyde came to once more as he felt a jostling, and then someone picked him up from what seemed like a bed of furs. Cold and groggy, Clyde tried and failed to see who was bouncing him. His frigid body was gently laid down in the snow, and Clyde looked up. He immediately recognized a structure right in front of him. It was his own house. Clyde tried to turn around quickly to see who'd rescued him, but no one was there. Clyde's snowmobile was found the following spring, a full 20 miles from the village. To this day, Clyde and his family have no idea who rescued him or how they managed it during a blizzard. And there are others who also have stories. Hunters, experienced hunters, often talk about caribou that they have shot and killed and the caribou will disappear before they reach it to dress it out. That caribou is dead, said Joe Octillic. I got on my machine, I drove over those mountains, and where is it? I know this is the spot, and there's no blood any place. No tracks to the left or the right, no tracks going straight ahead. The last place I looked was up. Caribou is gone? No tracks? This happens a lot up here. Some bush pilots have reported seeing the strange sight of caribou running on their sides, only to fly lower and see that they are actually being carried along by the Anakin. I've lived in the bush and tundra all my life. Weird stuff does happen whether people want to believe it or not, says Andy Roach, a native of the Canadian North. In August 1917, he experienced the following. My girlfriend and I were tired and decided to have a nap. We both woke up the footsteps on the deck. We heard the outside door open and a few seconds later the inside door opened. I was looking higher at the door expecting to see our grandma, and there was the smallest human I've ever seen, wearing a ragged old orange colored coat and caribou skin pants. Then both doors shut. Well, I walked out the door and I didn't see anyone. I thought to myself, grandma can't move that fast, her cabin's 80 yards away. They're supposed to be folk stories for children, but one walked into our cabin. Another man who claimed to have encountered one of the beings was Sam Stepanoff an Aleut who lived in the villages of Perryville and Chignik Lake on the Alaskan Peninsula. One night when he was 14 years old, Stepanoff went out with a couple of friends to harvest sea urchins. No sooner had the friends made it to the beach than a dog began to bark in the hills nearby. Stepanoff recognized the barking immediately as that of his dog, who had run off four days earlier. Abandoning the urchin hunt, he set off to retrieve his lost dog. Stepanoff found his dog standing at the edge of the forest his hair standing on end, growling at something in the trees. The teenager scooped up his dog and made to leave when he heard a rustling in the trees. The alders made some noise right beside me, Stepanov said, and I saw a person. I thought it was the boys at first, but it didn't move, so I shined a flashlight, and it was a man, his face just pure wrinkles. I said, who are you? But no answer. He's just looking straight at me, not speaking. Well, I got so scared, I dropped my dog and went down the cliff. I ran to where the others were gathering wood for a bonfire and told them what I'd seen, and they took off running too. This guy I saw was little, smaller than me, Stepanov said. I never could figure it out. He just looked like a real old man, all wrinkled. He had a beard and was kind of hairy, but he was human. Wow. Could it be the Alaskan little people really exist? They are legendary folklore for the Arctic region, 
And maybe that is the answer to whether they're real or not. In many countries, these legendary stories are still revered and deeply intertwined with the practices and traditions of its people. Many folklorists and anthropologists believe such folklore becoming obsolete would be equivalent to the demise of the larger culture. With modern society encouraging a lifelong pursuit of new technologies and increasing futurism, many people find comfort in the stories of legends and folktales that harken back to simpler times. Such nostalgic value seems to skeptics to be irrelevant to defending the lasting values of these stories. Many skeptics will point out, while they don't believe in the authenticity of the actual legends, they do understand the value they impart to any given culture. But we continue gravitating toward the legends as an emotional reflection of what we hold dear. Although skeptics and outsiders may see these little people as undoubtedly purely mythological constructs, the communities of this region see them as very real indeed, with many insisting the Anakins actually exist. Supporting these claims are the various real sightings and encounters with such beings, which blur the line between reality and what must seem like fairy tales to many people. It doesn't matter if you believe these stories to be true or simply allegories which try to teach us not to be cruel or peek in people's windows. They are all true facts to the Inuit people who pass the stories down from generation to generation so others know how to deal with the Inukins. They are also very real to the Inuit who live in fear of the Inukins who come out at night to spirit them away, perhaps even to be eaten as some are said to eat humans, or so the stories say. Internet writer Chasen Kunitz says, There are countless legends told throughout Alaska. Some are allegories like Aesop's fables. They're meant to teach an important life lesson or forewarn the listeners of Alaska's hazards. Others are your typical ghost stories, and they evoke campfire-esque creepy-crawly sensations. No matter the tale, they're all tied to the Alaskan experience and unite myriad regions in their collective mythos, Kunitz says. We'll give the last word to Inopia Magic Amage. He says of these little people, they live in the old ways to this very day. They dress in caribou skins. They still hunt with bow and arrow. They live underground and in caves all throughout this vast area. They possess superhuman qualities that you will never believe. They are incredibly strong and they can run very fast. Make no mistake, these people are very good in what they do. They are perhaps the best hunters in the world. And from his perspective, they exist. Postscript. Fossil evidence of little people were found on the island of Flores in eastern Indonesia in 2003. Called Homo Flores, but also called the Hobbit, Excavated remains showed a humanoid which had stood 3 feet 6 inches tall, about the same size as reported for the Anakins. Well, in our next episode, we're going to introduce you to a striking UFO case. We'll introduce you to the Wanake Reservoir UFO. What happened over the Wanake Reservoir in 1966 remains a mystery. It was a chilly January evening when police received the first call regarding something strange flying near the New Jersey Reservoir. Just after 6.30 p.m., police were sent to check out a light near Raymond Dam. It didn't take long before the police radio filled with more news from the reservoir. Something was burning a hole in the ice. We'll be joined by writer and paranormal investigator Eleanor Wagner, 
who has written about this case, and by Nick Frashi, a police officer who was actually at the scene during the event. So join us and hear all about this fascinating UFO incident next time on the Paranormal Factor Podcast. And now it's time for the episode quiz. It is time for the quiz, so here we go. The Jersey Devil was first seen in what year? Was it A, 1735, B, 1825, C, 1902, or D, 1979? Once again, the Jersey Devil was first seen in what year? Was it 1735, 1825, 1902, or 1979? And the answer is... 1735. The myth of the Jersey Devil dates back to 1735 in folklore, which describes tales of a creature that's said to be half-human, half-devil. Tales of the Devil's exploits abound. He has taken on a variety of forms. Because of the Devil, crops have failed, cows stopped giving milk, and droughts ensued. He blew the tops off trees and boiled streams. He was blamed for the loss of all livestock. Some believe the Devil appeared every seven years. Others said he foreshadowed disaster and foretold of war. The most well-known origin story is that of Mother Leeds, a Pine Barrens resident who had 12 children. In 1735, frustrated about becoming pregnant with a 13th, Leeds supposedly predicted the child would be a devil. Prior to the early 1900s, the Jersey Devil was referred to as the Leeds Devil or the Devil of Leeds either in connection with the local Leeds family or the eponymous southern New Jersey town, Leeds Point. Mother Leeds has been identified by some as Deborah Leeds, mainly due to Deborah Leeds' husband, Japhet Leeds, naming 12 children in the will he wrote during 1736, which is compatible with the legend. Deborah and Japhet Leeds also lived in the Leeds Point section of what is now Atlantic County, New Jersey, which is commonly the location of the Jersey Devil story. According to the legend, which has some slight variations depending upon the storyteller. An Estelleville resident known as Mother Leeds learned she was expecting her 13th child and out of sheer desperation exclaimed, Let this one be the devil! Words she would soon come to regret, according to the legend. Months later, Mother Leeds went into labor on an unusually stormy night complete with howling winds, thunderclaps, and lightning bolts illuminating the dark skies. Makes for quite the visual image, doesn't it? The baby boy she delivered appeared normal at first, but within minutes began to grow at an accelerated rate while sprouting horns, talons, and large leathery wings. The monster child brutally attacked its family members and the midwives attending to Mother Leeds. Growling and screaming, the child beat everyone with its tail, and those who survived claimed it flew up the chimney, leaving a pile of rubble in its wake. The creature took to the skies and has been haunting the Pine Barrens ever since. In some versions of the tale, Mother Leeds was supposedly a witch, and the child's father was the devil himself. Some versions of the legend also state that there was a subsequent attempt by local clergymen to exorcise the creature from the Pine Barrens. According to another version of the legend, the infant morphed into a creature with the chest of a man, but he had the head of a horse, and had wings of a bat and feet of a goat, and a long serpentine tail. Well, maybe. You see, there seems to be so many descriptions of the Jersey Devil. 
It has also been characterized over the years by witnesses as having the face of a horse, the head of a dog adorned with deer antlers, the body of a kangaroo, expansive leathery wings, a forked tail, and razor-like talons, and standing over six feet tall. Regardless of what it looks like, it has been terrifying the people of South Jersey for the last 275 years. If you want to learn more about the Jersey Devil, check out Season 1, Episode 13, right here on the Paranormal Factor Podcast. Well, that'll do it for this episode. A theme song is Knockers by Cinco, courtesy of Upbeat Music. Hey, before you leave, if you could, please do me just two favors. First of all, if you did enjoy the show, please leave a like on your favorite listening application. And secondly, if you liked what you heard, please spread the word. Love to have some new listeners out there to join you. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Keep your eyes open for the unusual folks, and thanks for stopping by.